0: So because today's scripture reading had a lot of difficult names, I decided to give that to Patrick. (laughs) So so Patrick's going to be our scripture reading this morning. And uh, let me just say, man, that last song, I was, you know what I was thinking of? Because this morning we're talking about Abraham, and we're starting there. And when it says, there's no mountain you won't climb up. I'm going to give you a little spoiler here. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about Abraham climbs the mountain with his son, Isaac, to sa- willing to sacrifice him there. And then it's a foreshadow of Christ who climbed up the mountain without his father and actually did sacrifice. And I'm like thinking, man, there's no mountain he wouldn't climb up. And that's just exactly what Christ did. But anyway, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I'm just excited about that. That got me ready to preach a different sermon. Patrick, how are you doing? Good. It was good to hear you on the drums this morning. And uh, then plenty of cowbell there. That was good. You, of course, you could always use more cowbell, right? Always more cowbell. Always more cowbell. Okay, great. All right, so get us started here. Follow along on the screen as Patrick reads
1: for us this morning. All right. Genesis 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpekshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpekshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpekshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpekshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived, after he fathered Peleg, 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ruel. And, er, and Peleg lived, after he fathered Ruel, 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ruel had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Ru lived after he fathered Sarug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Nahor lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives, The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren and had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, So that they will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered... And the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai to the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate that. Let's, let's pray.
0: Father, um, this is your word, and so we need to pay careful attention to it. Even difficult passages full of long names, Lord, it's there for a purpose, so help us to understand that purpose, help us to apply it to our lives so we can be more like Christ, and it's in his name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Anybody heard of Hershey Park in Hershey, Pennsylvania? I grew up about an hour from there. And so every now and then as a teenager, we would go to Hershey Park as a family or with friends and have a great day riding the roller coasters. In fact, it was one of the first loop roller coasters. They had a double loop roller coaster. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, anyway, they also had a, an aquatic show where they had sea animals and things like that. And they had a big stadium. It was kind of like SeaWorld, but maybe a slightly smaller version of that. And so... One of the ladies down there who was training the animals and doing tricks like that, she said, I need to volunteer for an audience. And so being the shy kid that I was, I stood up and screamed like a maniac, me, 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 me. And I was like way up on top. And I was being, I know this is hard for you to imagine, I was being totally obnoxious about it. And so the lady said... Okay, okay, you can come down, you know. And so I got to go down on stage and pet the dolphins and do all that stuff and almost get bit by a shark. I made that part up. But anyway, I I got selected out of the audience, out of all these hundreds and hundreds of people and all these people raising their hands. And maybe I was the most obnoxious one, that's why I got picked. But uh, I felt pretty special as like 11 years old to get picked to be part of this show at Hershey Park during the thing there. And So to be picked out of a large crowd is kind of a cool thing. And I think that maybe, just maybe, this is a little bit of how Abram felt. We're talking a world full of a couple billion, you know, billion people, and of all the people on the planet, God chooses Abraham. But it wasn't because Abraham was being obnoxious and jumping up and down and saying, me, 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 okay? I don't think he even saw this coming, as you will see. But we're really, we're at a critical point here in Genesis, and I'm actually surprised how fast we've gotten here. The first half of Genesis is all about the origins of, of all, how all these things came into be. We see how the whole universe came into be right there in verse 1 of chapter 1. We see how man came into being, where we came from and what our origins are. We see how marriage came into being and, and how, what God designed it to be and what a beautiful picture of Christ and His church it would be. We also saw how, where sin came from. People blame sin on everything but where it actually belongs, and that is in the heart of mankind. We also saw where death came from. And see what's interesting about that is if you, if you want to believe, try to believe the Bible and believe evolution, the big question you need to answer is, where did death start? Because evolution relies upon death. Evolution depends on survival of the fittest and that the weak die out. And through selective processes, death is a big part of evolution. Well, if evolution happened before Adam and Eve, where did death come from? Where did sin come from? Those are some big questions you would have to answer if you're trying to hold on to both. And then we even saw a couple of weeks ago where government came from and how God, in, in that dispensation, wanted man to rule over one another and to enforce the death penalty as well as other things. But then now we're in a transition to a new half. This The second half of Genesis from here going forward is all about God's chosen people and where they came from. So you've got the origins of the universe and the whole world and all its problems and now you've got God trying to solve this problem by bringing up a chosen race of people called Israel. So you've seen so far this pattern of God gives man responsibility and says do this whether it's take care of the garden or follow your conscience or you know have civil government and every single time, man shows his pattern of failure. And each one of these situations is called a dispensation. Uh, that, Paul uses this word three times in the New Testament. And as I mentioned before, it mean, we, get our, we get our English word economy from it. Oikonomia is the Greek word. And it means a, a, a set of rules that you're operating under. Like right now, you're having a budget under the Biden economy. That's a different set of rules than previous economies. And each dispensation was a set of rules that people had to operate under. And this is what we call the seven dispensations, and I want to show you where we're at on the big map. The first dispensation was that of innocence. Adam and Eve in the garden, given a set of responsibilities, they were innocent. But of course, what did they do? They ate of the tree, they failed, they brought into, therefore the curse, and death was introduced into the planet. The next dispensation was conscience, where people were supposed to do what was right, but every man that was right with his own eyes instead of what was right in God's eyes. And so they failed there as well, so God brings a worldwide flood to judge. Then God says, okay, govern over one another, enforce the death penalty as well as other laws. But people, rather than dispersing and governing over the planet, they decide to gather around the Tower of Babel and defy God. So God confounds their languages and spreads them out and forces them to do what he asked them to do in the beginning. And that brings us to where we're at right now, the dispensation of promise. God now is going to make promises to a specific man which will result in a, in a specific, peculiar bunch of people called Israel. And he makes promises to them. But this is the way that God's going to have a lighthouse to the world. It's, he's not leaving out the rest of the world. But you see how we go from Gentile on the category above to Israel now and how God is going to operate under this situation. And of course, that's where we're at right now. Here's where we are. If you look, go to an amusement park and you're trying to find out where the next ride is, you see the red dot that says, you are here. That's where we're at right now. So we're going to divide this passage that Patrick just read for us into three spots. There's Abraham and how it demonstrates he's in Shem's godly line. And then Abraham is called by God. And then Abraham answers God's call. That's our three ways of points this morning. It says these are the generations of Shem. This word generations could be this is the genealogy of Shem. Now back then people through oral tradition, and even through written records, kept records of their family tree because what was on the line with this was property. And we'll see that it gets enforced under the Mosaic Law, how that property and what belongs to you. And, and you can prove your answer. Say, no, no, my grandfather had this property here. He dug this well here. All those things were very important for real estate. And so this, this, these generations of Shem that he kept and Moses assimilated into to the writings of Genesis, it says also that he fathered arpashad and Patrick did a better job with that name than I did, two years after the flood. So Shem is, is not just some young boy on, the, on Ark, he's an older man. In fact, he's 100 years old. So we, sometimes we picture Noah and his young boys on the Ark. And no, these were grown men. And, if, and the reason all these dates and times are given, because if you add this up, it does show that we, we're looking at about 6,000 years of history. Not millions of years and all the things like that, but everything with archaeology and all those things line up with that. Abraham was 58 years old then when Noah died, so it is very possible that Abraham and Noah may have met. In fact, you can go from Adam to after the flood and have four men's lives overlap. Think about that. Adam, Lamech, Methuselah, Noah. They could have all known each other, or at least been, they could have been a few generations from their lives overlapped somewhere. So people, even after the flood, could say, yeah, my dad said he knew Noah, or he, and he knew Adam. I mean, that's how far back all this overlaps. So this oral tradition could also be very accurate is another thing that that testifies to. In Genesis 10, 25, it says Eber, which is where we get the name Hebrew. Eventually, the word evolves over time, but Eber, you know, he gives birth to Peleg, and the earth was divided. This is not talking about the geography of the planet. This is talking about the dividing of the languages, what most theologians believe. And so then we have his two sons, Peleg and Joktan. And those two names are important. Watch this here. See, in chapter 10, the, the genealogy traces Eber's line through Joktan, and Joktan leads to the Tower of Babel. Okay? So Joktan's one son Does it go in a good direction or a bad direction? It goes in a bad direction. It goes to the Tower of Babel. And now in chapter 11 he retells the genealogy but now he shows you he's going to trace it through Peleg and it leads to Abraham. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, you know, they have the sons and then when they're expelled from the garden I'm sorry, they have the sons after being expelled from the garden. Cain kills Abel but then Seth is raised up and he's the youngest. Seth is going to be the godly line. Cain is the ungodly line, okay? It all transfers down to just a few people on the ark. And who does the the godly line continue through? Okay, it continues through Shem. So from Seth to Shem. And now it's going to continue through Peleg, and that'll lead to the promised people, Abraham. So God not only divides the earth by languages, but he also divides the earth into the ungodly line and the godly line. Now Don't make the mistake of thinking that everybody in the godly line is saved. They're not, okay? But they are passing on genetically to what will lead to the Messiah, and before that to Abraham. Not everybody in the ungodly line is lost, okay? And so, in fact, some people in the ungodly line will eventually show up and cross over in the genealogies, but that's another discussion for another time. So here we have one father, Eber. He has two sons, Peleg and Joktan, and two completely different directions their lives go in. Now, this is, this is a, a great lesson to learn for parents. First of all, if you have multiple kids, which a lot of people in this room do, and one just goes berserk, doesn't mean you're horrible parents, okay? And if they all turn out good, it doesn't mean you're perfect, okay? Now, if they all turn out bad, you might have to question your parenting skills, okay? I, I know one pastor that all six of his kids went berserk, all six. And I could trace that back to his, his way of parenting was very similar to the way of pastoring, which n- neither of them were very good. And so it, it was no wonder. You should take a good look at your parenting if all your kids are turning out horrible. But think about this. God had Adam and Eve, and they went off the rails. So was God the Heavenly Father a bad parent? No. So parents, don't beat yourself up too much if you have one kid that is just, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay, so um, here... Eber has two sons. One is going to be in the godly line that will lead to the promised people that Abraham will start. The other one has a son that leads to the rebellion at the Tower of Babel. So kids do what kids do. They, they grow up. They're adults. They have minds of their own. And all we can do is pray for them and be like the prodigal son's dad who wait for him to come home. So Shem lived in father Arquishad, and at 500 years. And so you have Shelah. And so we we'll gonna continue with all these names. And you just see this this as Patrick's read, and again I'm glad he read it, not me or anybody else, name after name after name. And sometimes, be honest, in your Bible reading, like, yeah, skim down. <laughs> and you just skip all these names. But there's something important there because we have this and so on and so on. And so the question is why these long genealogies? They're important. There's a lot of them in the Bible. How many of you read the Bible through at least once in your lifetime? You've seen tons of genealogies, right? Okay. Um, this... Let me give you several reasons why genealogy is there. Number one, it's to show that the Bible is history, not fables. It gives these lists of names, and guess what? Every year, literally every year, archaeologists are uncovering more names that were on these genealogies. And they used to think that these genealogies were just made up, and these numbers were just made up. And they used to even thought the name Abraham, which is what Abram will be later, as you know. Uh, they even thought the name Abraham was just an English name and we superimposed it on Babylonian culture and that it was like, that, that's not even there. They, when people wrote the Bible they put that name in there because that's a name they knew and there was no such character as Abraham. And then archeological archeolo- digs back in the late 90s uncovered what was the equivalent of the Chaldean phone book. Okay, and there, guess what the most common name was? Abraham. It was like uncovering a phone book in Mexico City and finding Juan. Juan Rodriguez, Juan Rodriguez, Juan Rodriguez, just all over the place. Or John Smith, it was all over the place. And again, once again, the Bible is proven to be true. Now, um, I'll get to the word Chaldean here in a second. Chaldean wasn't the name of it when Abraham lived there, okay? It'd be like talking about the Delaware Indians. They lived there before it was called Delaware, right? So calling it the Ur of the Chaldees was a later name so everybody would identify. So if we said the Indians of Delaware or Indians of the Virginia area, Realize that that name came later, so it's not like a contradiction in the timeline. Another reason that genealogies are in the Bible is to demonstrate God's sovereignty. Think about this. God is directing history by choosing who would be born where and to who and when and where geographically. He's totally in control of history. He said, well, we choose when we have kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, you do. But God's still in control. God's totally in control. How many of you remember back in the uh, Cold War days, like in the 70s, the world's best chess player was named Jimmy Fisher. Remember Jimmy Fisher? And Jimmy Fisher was like one of the few Americans allowed into the Soviet Union, and they brought him in there to play chess. And he would play all the Russian... Am I saying his name right? Is it? Bobby. Bobby Fisher, thank you. It was Fisher, right. Anyway, um, Bobby Fisher would go in behind the steel curtain and play chess, and he would whoop up on like, the Soviet's best chess player and realize that chess in Russia... Is like football in America it was the big thing it was it, to be a chess star was to be like an NBA basketball player it was like amazing and Bobby Fischer went in there and just walked in fact there was times that Bobby Fischer would just stall and make moves just kind of playing around and then it's end the game okay and here's the thing did the Russian opponent have free will to move his pieces where he wanted yes but Bobby Fischer was so good that he was never not in control of the board and that's, that's a good way to look at the sovereignty of God. Another reason these genealogies are included is it, show, it teaches us that each person has their place in history. And there's people in the genealogies that God uses who didn't even live for God, which shows that God even, it says that he raised up Pharaoh just as a tool to, that he could use. And God is totally in control of each person's life, and that would include you and me, right? And another reason that God has genealogies is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the chosen one. That from back in the Garden of Eden. When he said. Someday Eve. Your seed will crush the head of the serpent. There was the very first prophecy. About Jesus Messiah. And now God starts this godly line. That traces all the way down to Jesus. God shows us from Adam. All the way to Jesus. Every parental line. And it's amazing that, it that he's in total control. And if you go to Jesus genealogy. Luke chapter 3, says Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, as people thought, of Joseph, right? Now, why was that included? Because Jesus not only got part of his godly line through Mary, he got his legal right to the throne also through Joseph. Because you could chase, trace Joseph and Mary's genealogies, guess what, back to King David. So Jesus had the right to the throne both from his mom and from his foster dad legally. Anyway, then you see all these names there, right? And these are the names that Patrick just read that overlap in this genealogy. It's showing, them; it's laying them down side by side. It's saying, hey, here's Genesis 11. Here's Luke 3. Does this look familiar, Jews? Is he your Messiah? Look at this. He has the genealogy. He has the family lineage. And it goes all through these names all the way down. And traces it back. And it even says from Enoch to Jared to Mahalalel to Canaan to Enos to Seth to Adam to God. So Jesus traces his genealogies back to God, his Father. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? This is all the reasons God gives these genealogies. So if God can orchestrate all, everybody say all, all of human history, shouldn't we trust him enough to follow him in our own lives? You know, if he could do all of that, he can be in control of every little detail. And you know what we, don't, we do? When we snooze the alarm and then we finally get up and we get in the shower, we start orchestrating in our mind how our day is going to go. When we really need to be saying, God, what would you have me to do? Now, that doesn't mean you don't do your job or whatever, but we acknowledge that God is in control of human history and God is in control of us. So this guy, Terah has three sons. And you see that pattern there? The Bible names three sons for Adam. The Bible names three sons for Noah. You see that pattern? It doesn't mean they didn't have more, but there's three prominent ones in every situation and there's that pattern there. And then... It says that these are the generations of Terah. Again, you could say this is the genealogy of Terah. So it starts off with one genealogy, and then Moses said, hey, give me the genealogy of Terah. I'm going to overlap it here with Shem's genealogy, and we're going to put the two together. In fact, there's a total of 11 genealogies in Genesis. And what's really fascinating is the very first genealogy is in chapter 2, verse 4. And it says these are the generations of, or the genealogy of what? The heavens and the earth. All these other genealogies, I'm going to show you where man came from. But hey, let me give you the family line of where the heavens and the earth came from. Is how he starts off the first genealogy using the same language. And then he says, and this is the book of the generations of Adam. It's the only time he uses the word book. Because again, I think Moses took what was recorded and said, hey, let me put this here in Genesis. So I'm, I'm taking what all you all know is the book of Adam. I'm putting it here in the Bible in Genesis. And then it says, and these are the generations of Noah. And then the generations of the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Japheth. The generations of Shem goes into more detail. That's why it repeats it because we're showing the godly line. And then the generations of Terah with the three sons. Now, do you see what I'm forming here? What does this look like? It's a chiasm. God put a chiastic structure even with the, with the genealogies. It's amazing. It's all over the Bible. And I'll tell you more about that here in just a second. So... The generations of Ishmael, which is God's son, Abraham's son that he shouldn't have had, but God was still in control of that. And then Isaac, the one that he should have had. And then we've got Esau. And then we've got uh, there's Esau, the Edomite. And then we've got the other Esau. And then we've got Jacob. And so even God forms a chiastic structure out of all these genealogies. It's amazing. You're, the Bible you hold in your hand, the Bible you're on your phone, is the inspired Word of God. And this just shows that this, I, I remember one time um, um, that guy was debating, what's his name? Um, the master, way, way of the master, What's uh, Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort was having a discussion with one of the world's leading atheists. And this guy had the arrogance to say, and I was showing this actually to the teens when we were going through uh, that course uh, a while back. And this guy had the audacity to say the Bible was written by peasants. I'm like peasants put this together? <laughs> I mean chiastic structures all over the Bible, uh, accurate history all over the Bible. It just showed that he had no, either he was ignorant of the Bible, his history, or he was just flat lying. You know one of those two. But the, the Bible you hold in your hand has amazing structure. And of course in a chiasm, like a sandwich, the most important part is in the middle. What is in the middle of all the genealogies? This genealogy of Terah, because here is where we go into it. The new dispensation, the dispensation of promise. So the more, most important part of all the list of genealogies is Abraham. Abraham and the promises God would give. He says, he says, because he says, I." in the middle of all these chiasm, of this chiasm and these genealogies, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, your offspring and after throughout all, throughout generations. So that's the, po- the center point of what we're studying this morning. So it says, Haran died, and his son was Lot. And this kind of answers the question as why Lot tagged along, Because his dad was dead, he's going to go along with Uncle Abraham. A lot of times I've heard this taught, maybe you have too, that Abraham kind of defied God's will because God said, get out and leave your family and go. And that he disobeyed by taking Lot, and that's why Lot caused so much trouble later. I don't know, maybe that's true, that's what I've always thought, but after seeing this, you know, hey, he's... You know, his dad is dead and maybe he's tagging along for good reasons. I don't know. We, that's just an interesting point there. But then they came out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And again, it's called Chaldeans later. And Moses is using it as a reference point. In, in this, this land of Ur, there's 30, approximately 34,000 people is what archaeologists think, just by the evidence they found. They had a wall that was 35 foot thick. They were very uh, conscientious about the enemies around them. And they were a very secure, powerful city. They, they had rivers nearby where they could import and export stuff. It was a very, very prosperous city until 2180 BC when the Gulis came through. They were like a, a Mongolian, uh, a barbarian tribe that came in and took over the city. And they occupied the city for 100 years. And guess who lived there during that 100 years? Abram did. So Abram, being called by God out of this place was a good thing. He was glad to get out of the occupation. A lot of times people are like, oh, Abram had to live, leave so much because that this Ur place was so prosperous and so economic that it was a big sacrifice to leave. Actually that was not the case. God was providing a way out of a bad situation and that's what God does, right? God saves us out of bad situations where we see our need and He's the one that saves us out of it. So you can follow Abram's path here, you know, where he starts here in the red box or the Chaldees, and he actually has to go northwest up to Haran and then down to the promised land, which is Canaan. And, of course, Canaan was Ham's cursed son, right? His son, Noah's grandson. And so here's God taking what was cursed, and he's going to redeem it with God's people. Another reason that the chosen land was what it was. So Abram can't do this godly line by himself. He needs a wife, and his wife's name is Sarai. Her name will be later changed to what? Sarah or Sarah, right? Okay. But Sarah is not a good name. It means she's contentious. <laughs> okay. Proverbs talks about how it's better to live on the corner of a housetop or out in the middle of the wilderness than be with a contentious wife. Okay. And, it, and all the husbands said, no, don't say it. Okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, why is she contentious? Well, we could do some sanctified speculation. What does it say her, her uh, biological condition is? She's barren, okay? That's what the next passage will tell us. She's barren. And it sounds like it's being redundant by saying she had no children. It's not being redundant because you can give birth to one child and then become barren, okay? Some people have what's called secondary infertility where they give birth to one child but then they can never have any more for some reason. And, and the Bible's making it abundantly clear. It's not like this is a new condition. She's always been barren. She's never had any children. And this is in a culture where having children to women is everything. If you're not contributing to the culture's social security, the culture's military, society's benefiting and blessing with your children, and not to mention contributing to the godly line, it's just like as a woman, you're nobody. Now, in today's culture, it's like, you have how many kids? Oh my gosh, you know, four kids? You know, are you crazy? You know, we just also, we just... We frown upon children and having lots of children. It's like, like, Well, you need to have one and stop, you know, that's what the American way is. Because you need to get back to your career and stop this little interruption called a child. In fact, better off, if it's going to interfere with your career, you might as well just abort it, you know. And that, we, we totally do not appreciate the blessing of children in American culture. And in this culture, children were everything, the more the better. And of course, if you think about it, if you have a farm, yeah, that's just, that's just more people to help out with the farm, more children to be a blessing, and of course, psalm says the children are a heritage from the lord so we need to get back to where we see them as a blessing but for sarai not to have any and her husband's name ironically means exalted father father of what i can't produce you any children and we don't know if the problem was we do know the problem was with her because she's the one that's barren so she's feeling guilt she's feeling shame and so maybe she's living up to her namesake which means to be contentious So Terah took Abram and his sons and they went. Okay, it's interesting that that's where the thing started with the dad. And it says and they they went into the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, we don't know why they settled there. I think it it could be because the dad is in poor health because it says he will die there. And then they'll move on. So the days of Terah, Terah were 205 years and he died in Haran. So maybe that's why they paused there. We don't know. So we get back to there. To these two parts of Genesis the first half we've already discussed and now we're we're in the second half but there's a hinge story or a hinge passage to this book that connects the two halves okay and that is this Genesis chapter uh, 11 or 12 verses 1 through 3 so let's get into this here Abram's called by God um, here we go so the Lord said to Abram go okay that's a key word okay you're in a bad situation you just need to get up and leave it. And I want to take you to a land that I will show you. He does not tell him where. He doesn't tell them the name of it. He just says, I want you to just get going. And another question I come across when I'm studying this is, was Abraham a believer? Did he believe at this time? Did maybe God call him out because he was the only believer in Ur? I don't think that's true. But, um... We're, many of you are reading through the Bible reading plan that goes along with our series here. And it's been really, really good. But one of the, the pastors said that it's presumed that Abraham was a believer and that's why God called him. But if you study the scriptures a little more, you'll find actually that's not true. Joshua says, has, has something to say about it. And I trust Joshua more than anybody else. He said, long ago, your fathers lived abroad, beyond the Euphrates Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. And they, all three of them, served other gods. So I don't think Abraham's a believer at this point. I think God calls him like he calls lost people to be saved. And somewhere along the line, Abraham will get saved. We'll talk about that in a few weeks to come. But in this, when he calls them, he makes a covenant. And this covenant has seven promises that go with it. So one of them is, I will make you a great nation. And of course, that, that was fulfilled. The Israelis became such a great population that they were... There was The analogy was like the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. He says, I will bless you. And that is so obvious that when Israel was obedient, they were the most blessed nation on the planet. And he says, and also, I will make your name great. And of course, it probably reached its apex under Solomon, where they were the world empire, and Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest man on the planet. And Israel, everybody, nations came to just bow down to Solomon and say, man, what are you doing here that's so great And he says, you will not only be great, you'll be a blessing to other nations. And think about that. Up to to the point of Israel, no other culture was friendly to other cultures. They were always untrusting each other. And God says, hey, I command you, it is part of your law, to be a blessing to strangers, to foreigners. When foreigners come in and travel through, you will show them the same kindness you do to one another. Totally revolutionized culture for that part of the world. And so Gentiles were like not, not afraid to travel through. And you read your Old Testament. When they came to a foreign land, they'd ask asked to have permission from the king. Hey, is it okay if we travel through? We'll give you lots of money if you let us travel through. And sometimes that could start a war right there at the border. But Israel's like, hey, our borders are open. Come on, everybody, come on. We will bless you. We'll put you in our home. We'll feed you. We will take care of you. And they're like, wow, what is this place? And so Israel, when they were obedient, was a great blessing to others. Not only receiving God's blessing, but distributing them. And then God gave this promise. Everybody who blesses you, I'll bless them. Now that doesn't mean they'll be saved. But it just means that when you show kindness to Israel, you'll receive it. And if people disrespect you, they're, yeah, they're going to pay for that. And then finally, the seventh promise. And if we find it, we're not surprised it's the number of seven, right? He says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What do you think that's talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Now, they'll be blessed in many, many other ways, but the ultimate blessing is the blessing that comes through the Messiah, Jesus. So, Israel, as God promised, is a blessing to the nations. The blessing to the nations. Think about it. We would not have a Bible if it wasn't for Israel. Okay, that's, that's true. They gave us the scriptures. They also gave us the Ten Commandments, the foundation of Western civilization. Of how our laws are created. How even our constitution was created. You guys know this. What book of the Bible did the founding fathers quote more than any other source? Biblical or non-biblical? What did they quote? Deuteronomy. The constitution was built on the book of Deuteronomy. And that is the foundation of all civilizations that succeed around the planet. To some, some degrees more than others. And then of course the most important thing Israel gave us was our Messiah. The list of things that Israel gave us could be, go way beyond this, but they've given us three of the, these are major things. And, that, and that's why in Galatians, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing that he promised in that covenant, it comes to us as Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And that's the biggest blessing of all that Israel has provided us. And Psalm 122 verse 6 says, we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And may they be secure who love you. And I'm not going to go into it right now, but it's an interesting study. Just watch. As nations are hostile to Israel, what happens to them in history. And when nations are friendly to Israel, how they are blessed. And we're in a very precarious situation in the United States that we're not friendly to Israel anymore. And we're going to pay for it. We will pay for it. Okay? But you can study that on your own and make for some fascinating follow-up. So we as followers of Christ are called, like Abraham, to be a blessing to the nations, because we are the spiritual seed of Abraham, and we are supposed to be a blessing to others. Are you a blessing to your neighbors? Would they be glad that you live there, or would they look forward to when you move out? Are you a blessing to your coworkers? Are people glad when you walk into the coffee room, and you're glad that you? And are you you bring excitement and enthusiasm when you walk into the room? Are you a blessing? At the family reunion. You know, we are called as, as the seed of Abraham, spiritual seed of Abraham, to be a blessing. And Abraham, I believe, like Joshua said, was a lost man who was called to follow God. Um, I'm sorry, Abraham was a lost man who was called by God to follow him by faith. That should be an exclamation point. Uh, is that your story? Have you received the call of God to go from lost to saved? From a child of the devil to become a child of God. To someone who is wandering there in darkness to enter into his glorious light. What is your story? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior and been called by Abraham? So Abraham we saw is in Shem's godly line. Abraham is called by God. And now we'll look at how Abraham answers God's call. So Abraham went. Just as the Lord told him. Man, I wish that was true of Gary all the time. (laughs) God says, go, and I'm like, oh, do I have to go now? Can I afford to go? Well, what if I go this way instead of that way? You know, it's just like Abraham went, boom. No discussion, no argument, no Jonah here. You know, Jonah goes the opposite direction, right? Abraham like, no, okay, I'll go. I will get out of here. And um, Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. That's how we do it. And we know that faith isn't even of ourselves, it is a gift of God. That God has dealt to every man, Romans chapter 6, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. So no one in this room can say, well, I I would believe if God would just give me faith. The Bible says He has dealt to every man, everybody say every man, and that's gender neutral, so it means every man and woman, child, every man a measure of faith. The question is, what do you do with it? The disciples came, Jesus said, hey Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus like, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking for the wrong thing. He said, if you take a grain of a mustard seed and you put it in the right place, you'll move mountains. It's not how big your faith is, it's what you put your faith in. You know, two people could have get in an Uber driver, a car, get in the car, and one could be totally confident, I've done this a million times, and get in there, and it turns out that Uber is a creep and bad things happen. Another person's like nervous and all, you know, uh, uh, squeamish about doing this, and I don't know if this, I've never done this before. And they get in the car and they have this much faith, and, they, and they're nervous the whole time. And they get to the airport and they get out, like, okay, thank you. And they get on their plane, like, phew. One had a ton of faith and it went in the wrong direction, and one had little faith and they end up in the right direction. So, is it how much faith you have or where you put your faith? Say, so you put your faith in God, put your faith in His Word. And Abraham, maybe he was anxious about this, but the Bible says he went he went by faith the faith that God gave him and he went out not knowing where he was going now god does this sometimes don't don't put god in a box where he does this all the time sometimes god makes it abundantly clear where you're going and sometimes god says hey just trust me just trust me you know just like you know your significant other, other will blindfold you and lead you by the hand into the kitchen you know and you're not like oh you're going to kill me with a knife or what you know of course you trust the person as they because there's probably some great surprise at the end Um, Over nine years ago, nine adults and 15 kids went out by faith to start Revolution Church. We had no idea where we were going, did we, Patrick? Remember that day we drove around on a field trip thinking we could meet there? We could meet there. You know, we we don't know where we're going. We we know we're going. We're committed to go. We don't know if anybody's going to show up. And, of course, you know, somebody stepped up and said, hey, here's a business. You can meet here on Sundays because we're closed Sunday morning. And man, God blessed. And God did great things. But we didn't know where we were going. And sometimes you can't know all the answers. And your desire to know all the answers before you go is called control. And you got to give it up. you not just have to give it up. You have to give it to God and say, God, okay, I will trust you. I will trust you that you will lead us in the right direction. And God blesses those things. So Abraham went. And Abraham was a young guy, so he's able to do it, Right? Now he's 75 years old. No excuses, right? If Brother Carl can be here every Sunday, 84, brother, right? Still br- 84? I don't know if he's hearing me today. Is Carl 80? Are you 84? Have you passed it? What are you now, 85? Say, Brother Carl could be in his spot every Sunday, man, we could, say, we could say, I wasn't feeling good Sunday morning. Man, when you get past 55, it, it hurts every morning, right? And so we can get up and we can go. So Abraham took Sarai, and he took Lot, and he took all their possessions. And what's interesting is, he also now, in, as he's traveling along, he's picking up people. Because he's got cattle, he's got possessions, he's hiring people. He's going he's gonna to end up getting there with a lot of people. In fact, when he rescues Lot, he has his own army. That's how much Abraham's being blessed. So he didn't lose anything by leaving the or the Chaldees, okay? And the Canaanites were in the land, though. So he, Many times God calls you to something by faith, there's going to be enemies there. There's going to be family members say, what are you doing? Are you stupid? Why are you doing that? You mean you're going to move and start another church in another area? Where are you going to go? How are you going to make a living? I don't know. We're just going. We're going by faith. I remember when I told my dad that I came home for summer camp. I was 15 years old. I said, dad, I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. He said, what's that? I said, I want to be a youth pastor and eventually be a pastor. He said, Gary, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. There's going to be skeptics who will sit there and say, well, no, that's not wise, that's not prudent, you shouldn't do that. Why would you spend your money there? And people who will question. Now, none of this condones foolish behavior. But sometimes following God to the world looks foolish. You give how much to your church? Do you know what kind of car you could be driving if you didn't give that much? And people will will always be naysayers. And here's what's interesting. Before the, the Lord spoke to Abraham, now it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. And he says, to your offspring I will give this land. So the land that was given to the cursed son of Ham, is he said, I'm going to give it back. We're going to redeem it. That's what God does. And so what is Abraham's response when God says, look at this beautiful land. I'm going to give this to you. What does Abraham do? It says, Abraham built there an altar to the Lord. Abraham worshiped. Abraham worshipped. In fact, we see Abraham doing this multiple times, where God blesses Abraham, and Abraham says, "I'm gonna build an altar. I just gotta say thanks. I'm gonna." And what does he do on that altar? He sacrifices an animal, because he knows he may have overlapped with Adam, right? Or at least people who knew Adam is what I'm trying to say. And so he's sacrifices there as a way of saying, "Thanks, I'm giving back to you, God, what you've given me, and I'm also looking forward to the Messiah that you will provide for us through these people." So Abraham builds an altar, and that's why we need weekly worship. Every week, we have tons to be thankful for, and we need to come to God's house where the altar is, not a literal altar, but the altar of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf for his church, and we give thanks to God for he is good. Amen? And so, it says, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. That's a great name. Amen? (laughs) Bethel. Okay, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Now, Ai, you know, later will be where uh, Joshua's army fails because they're overconfident. And, every, and then you have Bethel. What does Bethel mean, people? House of God on the west. Notice that your geography in the Bible is important. Every time God calls somebody, he calls them to go west. And every time they stray from God, they go east. That's why living in New York City is a sin, okay? Just go west. Go to the promised land of Texas. Okay, and that's where you should settle in the promised land, okay? But seriously, geographically, that's the trend you see. When people run from God, they go east, okay? And they go, question? Or? South. That means you're, just, you're, you're tanking right there, okay? Anyway. <laughs> uh, good question. So there he, and again, there he built an altar again. So he's built an altar the first time, then he moves a little bit, and, he, and he's, he's heading in the right direction, and it says now... This time he built an altar, something different happens. I don't know how much to read into this, but it says, and this time he called upon the, name of the Lord. Now, I still don't think Abraham's saved yet, okay, and I'll tell you later why, but I think he's moving in the right direction. I think he's seeking God, God is working in his life, he's crying out to God, and, and you'll see that this is what's happening. So he, he goes from obeying God to worshiping God to calling upon God. In fact, here's Galatians chapter 3. It says, in, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, raise your hand if you're a Gentile, okay? God would justify us by faith. You know what he did? He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now some people say, well, that just means generic good news. No, no, I really believe that God explained to Abraham, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to raise up a a Messiah. Just like that that lamb that died for Adam and Eve to cover their sins, I am raising up the God-man who will die for the sins of mankind. And this is what I'm working in you right here, Abraham. I believe that's the gospel that he explained that in detail. And he says, and in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed through this Messiah that I'm going to bring up, the the Messiah of the the good news of the gospel. So then those who are of faith, and if you know Christ, you are of faith, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 1 Corinthians 15 explains the gospel. And this is what I believe God explained to Abraham. Okay, again, if he went into that much detail with Adam and Eve, why not? He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to, which also you received, in which you, sta- in which you stand, and by which you are saved. Can someone be saved apart from the gospel? No, you are saved by the gospel. We could insert here Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is, what, it is the only thing in the universe that has the power to take you from lost to saved. So we are saved by the gospel. And then he explains what the gospel is. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. And how did he do that? He did it in accordance with the scriptures. The 39 books of the Old Testament all foreshadowed and prophesied how Christ would die. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Number two of the gospel, that he was buried. And number three, he was raised on the third day. That is the gospel. The death death. Of Christ for our sins, his burial, and his literal resurrection. And this is what I believe Abraham believed. Do you? Have you put your faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you, everyone, to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. If you have put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you right now in your heart thank him for seeking you out like he did Abram, a lost man and a lost culture, and, and redeeming your soul? And if you also know Christ as your Savior, would you pray for those who do not? That there might be one here this morning or someone watching online that that does not know Christ. And today would be the day of salvation. Will you answer the call like Abraham did? A lost man whose God says go, and he goes. Will you be a follower of Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you so much for this story of Abraham. This is not legend. This is not fable. This is history. And it's part of your sovereign plan that you show that you're in control of every little detail in the entire universe. There isn't a bird that falls that you're not aware of. So, Father, we thank you that you are in charge of every little detail of our lives. Lord, help us to yield to that daily, moment by moment. We thank you for Christ. I pray that we live for his glory, the promised one that came through Abraham. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. If you, if you made a decision to trust Christ or you want more information about that, that's my cell phone number. You can call or contact me anytime. And again, I would just challenge you every week as we go through Genesis, man, if you like sitting here thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here. That would be the person you should pray for this week and invite them to join you next Sunday. I don't know if you've noticed, but the reading plan now has changed. We're in a new segment now called The Promise, section 2 of Genesis. And so you, I sent an invitation to many of you. If you didn't see it, you can text me. And I'll try to send it out as well. Um, but find that app on the U version and uh, reading plan and start that. It's not too late to try to even catch up. All right, let's do question and answer session. I'm going to mix things up. Ashley, you want to help me with that today? Give Amanda a break here. Don't take it personal, man. And if you have any questions, text them in. Um, sometimes we don't have great reception in here. So if it doesn't come through, feel free to raise your hand and Just ask it, okay? But we do have some that have come through. How are you, Ashley? I'm good. How are you? I'm better than I deserve. Like Dave Ramsey, right?
2: Um, Yeah. I was so embarrassed. I leaned over to Chris and was like, why did I raise my hand in the middle of the sermon? I was so embarrassed.
0: Did you have a question (laughs) at that point? Yeah,
2: it was my question. I was like, well, Egypt's kind of west. Okay. no. So, I mean, it's southwest. Yeah. But okay. Uh, Why did God appear to Abram but told Moses he would die if he saw him? That's a good question.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So... Um, God, when God appears, um, what's, what's called a theophany, okay, but he's always veiled in his appearance, okay, because it says, if any man beholds the full glory of God, he would die. So that's why even with Moses, God wanted to see his full glory, and God says, no, that will kill you. I'm just going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, I'm going to whisk by, and you'll see my trail, okay? So he just got to see the glory of God as kind of blurred by. And of course, God veils himself in flesh in Jesus Christ. And when he does that in the Old Testament, it's called a Christophany. So Abram will appear in person with two angels at Abram, Abraham's tent, and that's when Sarah giggles because she's like, "I'm gonna have a kid, no way!" You know, and and it's not really a, a ha ha giggle. It's like, "No way!" giggle. You know, unbelieving, because God calls Jesus calls her and says, "Hey, why are you laughing? Oh, I didn't laugh." You know, he said, "Why? Well, I'm God. I can hear everything." You know. Anyway, um, so but again, he's veiled in flesh. So even in eternity, we won't behold the full glory of God. Some people think we will, some people won't, but we see the glory of God in Christ veiled in flesh. So that's why Moses wore a veil so because of the people, couldn't handle all the glow. So it's not a contradiction. He saw God, but he saw God veiled, I believe, as Christ. I believe, in fact, if you, anybody follow the, um, your kids watch Superbook? Mm-hmm. anybody's kid, okay? Yep. When they show these appearances, they show Jesus. And I'm glad. I think it's very biblical. So it's, yeah, it's good. like
2: the, um, the man who wrestled with Jacob it, later on, he said, he was like, well, what's your name? And he's like, why do you ask my name since it's good? Like, and, and I think it was in another place, too, who was it, that asked, what is your name? And the person, the man, refused to tell them his name. Yeah. Uh, and, and those two places are some of the clearest places or points of saying is a Christoph. Yeah,
0: so the cartoon character they see in the New Testament is the same cartoon character, if you will, in, the, in these Old Testament stories. And I think that's very accurate. It's good. Yeah.
2: All right. Um, if Abram served other gods, how might we speculate how he would recognize the voice of God?
0: Well, other gods are no gods at all, right? They're not real. I mean, we can carve them out of wood and start calling a god. Now, um, I think it's in Second Chronicles, it says there's a demon spirit behind those. So, but this, this voice actually spoke. Right. And, of course, God's goodness would separate itself from the others because, obviously, these other gods were failing Abram at this time. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know exactly how. We just know he, he was called. Right. Sometimes the Bible tells us how God calls, like dreams and visions and voices. This one just says God called him. We right. don't know.
2: God, God spoke to him. Yeah, God's. So, do you think it might be surmised that maybe he learned from Noah, like who God is, because Noah is passing this on to the generations. Like we know who he is, and that's a maybe really good at theory. At that time, he wasn't super uh, active, like directly active with yeah. the people, because they were being crazy.
0: Yeah, may- maybe he knew uh, great grandfather Noah, and Noah talked about how God spoke to him. And he said, "Wow, this sounds just like the way Noah said God talked to him." That's a great theory. I mean, it'd
2: have to be pretty powerful for him to literally pack up everything he has and just yeah. go.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Very <laughs> pack good. up his
2: arthritis medicine. Okay, um, where this is asking for where in the scripture does it show uh, when Moses sees God's glory move by? What what chapter? It's Genesis. Is it Genesis? No, no it no, would be in uh, Exodus. Exodus. Yeah.
0: So y'all can Google that. I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I don't have the Bible memorized. Yeah, that's it. But uh, any other questions? These are good. Any any other questions? Yes, Jimmy.
2: Jimmy. Mm -hmm. So do do you think we could surmise by that since blessed are the pure in the heart? Maybe Abram was pure in heart? Maybe. Maybe he wasn't super corrupt, too, at that time. Maybe he, like, served other gods the way we serve other gods today. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we're gonna get up and check the weather instead of read the Bible first or something like that. Maybe that's,
0: that's true. A loose and, and of easy. course, we we sing on Sunday mornings. that we, we want to see God. And of course, what are we collectively? We are the body of Christ. So, do you see me right now? Well, but yeah, but there's no part of Gary that you don't see. Right? You don't see my spirit or my soul, but you see Gary. So there's no contradiction there to say you see me, but you really don't see me on. The, and so to see. The body of Christ, we see Christ as re- revealed amongst us. We see Christ revealed in communion with the broken body and blood. We see Christ revealed in the Word. So these are all important reasons we need to partake of all those things. Collect, uh, collective worship, communion, and then spend time in God's Word. That's how we see God. And of course, as Jimmy so well said, uh, blessed are the pure in heart. Once you've got your heart purified, you're able to see with purified eyes God as revealed in those things.
2: Absolutely. That's
0: it. Okay, great. Let's um let's stand.